It is The Morning Show. I'm Kate Archer-Kent. We check in now on family businesses that are an important engine of the Wisconsin economy. The resource platform Family Business estimates roughly two-thirds of all American workers are employed at family firms. Call in with a question. You can share your thoughts at 800-642-1234. Email ideas at WPR.org. Nathan Brinkman is founder, CEO, and president of Triumph Wealth Management based in Madison. Nathan, welcome to the Ideas Network. Well, thank you. Good morning. Yes, good Jennifer. Morning. Good morning. Jennifer Pendergast here as well, adjunct professor at the John L. Ward Center for Family Enterprises at Northwestern University's Kellogg School of Management. Jennifer, welcome. Hi, good morning. Jennifer, let's start with you. You've made a career of studying and consulting with family-owned businesses. Um, People might imagine small stores, family-run restaurants. What is the reality of the size and scope of family-run enterprises? Well, um, they actually run the gamut. And the piece that you're saying people imagine is definitely true and actually the backbone of our economy and great employers and people and contributors to communities But, you know, there are also people around you like uh, S.T. Johnson and Polar Companies and Cargill, and those get to be some of the largest companies in the country and employ thousands and thousands of people and have been contributing to the economy for hundreds of years. So really, they run the gamut. Um, I was struck by your research that says we view family firms as very, very trustworthy. What are the perceptions like of family-run businesses? Well, it's interesting. So Edelman is a well-recognized PR firm, and they do a trust barometer every year. And occasionally, they pick a target population to focus in on. A few years ago, they looked at family-owned businesses and found that, in general, they are more trusted by their employees to do what they say. Um, They have more trust in the leadership of those companies. Um, And my sense is that stems from the fact, a couple of things. One, um, if I have a vested interest in my company staying around for a long time, which a lot of families will say we're committed to running this for the long term, then I'm incented to do the right thing because I don't get to walk away with, from what I'm doing. Also, family-owned businesses are often the backbone of their community, their employers there. So the same people that own that business are sending their kids to school in the same schools and going to you know, the same religious affiliations and in the same clubs and organizations. And so they have a vested interest to be You know, they're recognized as people that people can see walking around the street. So they want to make sure they do the right thing. And then and then there's just a certain pride, I think, in a lot of these families in in building quality products and providing good services and being good employers. And so that results in them. You know, I think that that level of trust that you see really having that sense of place, Um, Nathan. You own a family company, work with a lot of family-owned businesses. What challenges are companies facing? Uh, Well, it's like many other businesses out there. Families um, during times of COVID uh, struggle with taking care of of just their internal families. Uh, And then as a business owner, you're taking care of your, your business family as well. And so we've seen a lot of uh, stress 
placed onto family business owners of taking care, if you will, of their internal families as well as their external business families. Uh, so that that is something I think that's really arisen here in the last three years uh, as these uh, owners are trying to navigate through uh, the changing times. And secondly, I would say, obviously, recently with a change of interest rates, uh, these are generally closely held companies. And so just adjusting to the changing economic environment um, has been very significant as well. And as Jennifer said, many of these business owners are, we'll call them first responders to a community. They identify the needs inside of these communities, uh, A, to be good people and good employers to reflect the values of the family, but also to their communities. And I think that's really important if we think about or look around what's going on uh, in our in our local communities as well as the world. Mm, first responders to a community. Nathan Brinkman there, founder and CEO of Triumph Wealth Management in Madison. Jennifer Pendergast is an adjunct professor at Northwestern University as we talk about family businesses and get insights on them. You can join in the conversation, call in with a question or comment at 800-642-1234. Jennifer, how do family-owned businesses compare to publicly traded companies in terms of success and returns and, and size? So because they don't have access to capital, as, as Nathan said, you know, they're, they're relying on either bank capital or, or internally generated capital. Family businesses tend to be smaller than than a lot of publicly held companies. They also tend to maybe grow at a more measured pace. Uh, if you want to last forever, you don't take big risks, right? So mm-hmm. I don't um, I don't take big loans from the bank because I might not be able to take, pay them off. I may not make an acquisition that I don't think, you know, I can run successfully. So they tend to be a lot more steady in their returns and a lot more resilient to downturns that maybe not grow as quickly. Uh, on the upside. So that's kind of how they would look financially. Um, one of the things that I have, a, um, I guess I would say, uh, a chip on my shoulder about or a pet peeve being a big advocate and supporter of family businesses is there's a lot of research that's cited that says that a third of family businesses uh, don't succeed to the second generation, and then only a third of those that succeeded to the second succeed to the third. So that gives you about 10% of them by the third generation. And while that data is out there, what it doesn't do is compare family-owned businesses to non-family-owned businesses. And if you look at data around the, the length of time that a, that a company lasts in the Standard & Poor's 500 index, as an example, that number has dropped incredibly over the past 50 years. And so I don't think that the tenure, the, the duration of family businesses is any shorter than public companies. I think in many cases it's longer. Um, I can't think of a, a publicly traded company CEO that, that would sit in front of shareholders and say, my goal is for this business to last forever. But many family businesses will say our aspiration is that we will be a privately held family run company for as long as possible. Um, and what that means is we have to be a flexible and adjust to changes. Maybe we need to change what businesses we're in. Um, Cargill is not in the same businesses that Cargill was in, you know, when they started, uh, nor is Kohler, nor a lot of these big businesses, but they've learned how to adjust and adapt so that they can be resilient over the, over the long term. 
Um, and so I think they're, the, the returns over time um, can be higher, but they're definitely more resilient. And we're going to put a pin in succession. We're going to definitely go there. Uh, but Nathan, you know, um, these businesses can be complicated. There's the family. There's the actual business. There might be other ownership. Um, are, are there a, what advantages or disadvantages do family businesses have over other ownership models? Well, I would say the first one would be reflection of values. As Jennifer was stating, uh, you know, families are incredibly intimate. And generally, you see core values transferred from generation to generation. And we see that inside of businesses as well. I was recently at a presentation by uh, Helen Johnson Leopold, and she talked about how Sam, uh, Sam Johnson, as he was turning the tide of SC Johnson, uh, sat down with the family first and really enforced those core values. Mm. And when you see that, uh, as Jennifer was stating, um, that resonates throughout uh, an industry. It resonates throughout a business or a corporation. So we see them as being really resilient and reflecting core values. That's also evident in companies like Menards, uh, which is a Wisconsin-based, closely held business by a family. Uh, we see that uh, locally with Epic uh, in Madison, um, where incredible leaders um, who are leading forward based on their core principles, their core values, which not to say that doesn't exist in public, uh, publicly held companies, However, we just see it so much more reinforced and intimately held within family business. Nathan Brinkman, founder of Triumph Wealth Management in Madison. Jennifer Pendergast is an adjunct professor of family enterprises at Northwestern University's Kellogg School of Management. As we discuss businesses owned and controlled by families, you can call in with a question, share your perspectives, 800-642-1234. I'm Kate Archer-Kent. You're listening to The Morning Show on the Ideas Network. It is The Morning Show. I'm Kate Archer-Kent. Family-owned businesses, they contribute greatly to Wisconsin's economy, but they face unique challenges. According to the Wisconsin Family Business Center, there's space to talk. Call in with a question. You can add your thoughts at 800-642-1234. Email ideas at WPR.org. Nathan Brinkman is founder and CEO of an investment and financial planning firm in Madison. Jennifer Pendergast is a family enterprise consultant at Northwestern University's Kellogg School of Management. Jennifer, this year's North America Family Business Report from Bright Star Capital Partners, it found more than 60% of family-owned companies, they don't have a formal succession plan. Why are there so many companies without plans for the next generation? Yeah, it's such an interesting question. It's not because they don't know it's important, I don't think. I mean, everybody realizes that, that, you know, if you say you want to stay owned in the family for a long time, then you need to have a plan to pass it down. So I don't think it's it's being naive. I think it's that it's hard, and I'm sure Nathan can talk about some of this. But um, 
if you um, if you think about the the alternative, I'm I'm not in a family owned business. I could be private or public, right? As I think about when do I want to retire and who do I want to replace me, um, it's hard enough to think about am I ready to go? And particularly if you're a founder generation of a business, often very hard to let go of something that they've worked so hard to create, right? Mm. So there's that own personal piece. Um, but in the end of the day, if it's not my family, I think through, okay, do I have anyone in this company behind me that I think could run this? And if so, how do I make sure they're prepared? If not, should I be looking for someone outside the business or, you know, maybe, maybe this business needs to be sold or transition to someone else. Right. But if it's in my family, oftentimes the presumption of succession is that it would go to a family member. And then that becomes really complicated because, if I have more than one child in the business, or if I'm not sure my child is going to be successful at this, or if I don't want to saddle them with the stress of running a company where their siblings may be co-owners in that business with them, there's just a lot of complexity there. Um, I also see with that MBA students that, that I teach at, at Kellogg School of Management, you know, that they have new ideas and they're excited to come into the business and try new and different things. And oftentimes there's a resistance of that from elder generations who um, want to continue to do things the way that they've been doing them in the past or feel like they have the benefit of having seen what succeeded and failed in the past and that, that maybe the next generation coming in while, while, while energetic could be a bit naive. So you can often have tension about what direction you want to take a business in. So for a lot of these reasons, I think people avoid the difficult conversations around how they're going to how they're going to pass down the business because they're afraid that they don't have someone capable or that they don't have alignment among the current generation and the next generation around how the business should be run. Mm, they're so sensitive because it not only involves the direction and the philosophy of the business, but it also gets into personalities. It's very much a human decision as well. Well, and on top of that, I wanted to go back to something that I think is very important that Nathan was saying before, you know, the level of stress that, that is put on someone when there's no distinction between your sort of family and home life and your business life, they all become blended into one system, right? And mm-hmm. so um, and so, if if I make someone unhappy, if I choose one child over another or I tell my children I don't think they're qualified to run this business, I still have Thanksgiving with them. Mm-hmm. I still have you know, they may still even live under my roof. How are there, you know, if I have grown children with, with spouses, how is that spouse going to take the news about, you know, who I've chosen to be my successor? So so there's a lot of emotional complexity that comes into this that can make it really challenging. Nathan, you help companies create succession plans. What does that process look like? It's messy. <laughs> <laughs> In a word. Uh... And that's that's kind of one of our pitch lines is, you know, we're at that intersection of, of messiness and to kind of backpack on what Jennifer said, you know, a lot of uh, these intimately closely held businesses, 85% of their net worth is concentrated in one asset. It's their business. And so when you think about the unwinding phase, it's not like you just walk away with a 401k or a retirement plan into retirement, you also have to figure out what to do with your largest asset. And two is really understanding the value of that asset. And we're watching that being played out in a family business in the courts today, 
But many business owners truly do not know the real value of their business. They take a guess at it. And therefore, internally within their family, they have what we call a wealth gap. Do I have enough to competently walk into retirement? And then we have what we call a value gap in the business. Do we truly understand what the value of that business is? And sometimes we focus on the third element, which is what we call the profit gap. What could or should it be worth in order to transfer? And so as we look at these things, it's really that's the messiness or the complexities that Jennifer was saying is not only the human side, but really just the financial side of if this is uh, a high concentration of my wealth, how do I unwind this so that I get enough and yet don't really squeeze mm. uh, the company uh, too too much financially so they can survive uh, throughout generations as well. And so it's it's messy, it's complex, and it requires a lot of expertise. And the my last point I'll throw into this part of the segment is this is where uh, owners have to surround themselves with a group of experts uh, to think that you're going to pick up all these skills uh, suddenly and work through this, this process and do it once. Most of these business owners sell their business once. Uh, and to think that you're going to do it perfectly the first time in such an incredibly important topic, uh, I really encourage owners to think through that and give themselves ample time to assemble the right team and get yourself educated so that you can confidently run your business and keep it going uh, without trying to be the expert in everything. Nathan Brinkman um, from Triumph Wealth Management in Madison, a family-owned business, and uh, Jennifer Pendergast from Northwestern University. As we look at family firms here in Wisconsin and elsewhere, challenges and opportunities, you can join in with your questions and comments at 800-642-1234. Jennifer, what is the role of like boards of directors um, who are a little bit more removed maybe than the um, CEO and, and the other um, you know, C-suite offices in terms of succession and what that thinking is like? Um, great question. First of all, let me sort of pound the drum for the notion of a, a board as a great tool and a resource in a family business. And I think even in earlier stage family businesses, oftentimes the founder would say, well, I don't want to listen to or need to listen to someone because I own all of this company and I know how to run it. But I think of it as you know, at the very least, this kitchen cabinet of smart people who are well-intended and, and want to help you achieve your dream of sustaining this business across generations. So who wouldn't want a group of people like that to be a sounding board and help them? Um, they can be really useful in a time of succession uh, because of your point about being a little bit more removed. There's an objectivity um, that they can bring uh, if if the the if the retiring generation is willing to listen to them around the qualifications and capabilities of the, the potential next leaders, they, if they feel a true sort of fiduciary sense of responsibility to the company, they can also be the ones that are thinking about the risk of making sure that there's good financial planning in place so that uh, the owner is prepared to be able to step down. They can be looking at making sure that there's good support systems in place for any next generation leaders, um, you know, so that they have good people around them. Um, you know, I want to discount also the fact in succession that, you know, when you're talking about leadership succession in a family business, every one of the employees is watching and wondering what's going to happen. Mm. And so 
one of the big risks is if they don't feel like this business is going to be in good hands, do I want to stay in a place where, you know, yes, it's great to be in this family-owned business environment, but what if there's not adequate planning and so I worry the business is going to have to be sold because the founder hasn't put, you know, either financial plans in place or a succession plan, all of a sudden I'm not going to be working at the place I thought I was before, or what if I'm not feeling good about the caliber of the next leader that's going to come in, or they're going to take the business in a very different direction, or they're not going to care as much as the current owner. And that Um, could create uncertainty. I want to pause right there with Jennifer Pendergast, family business consultant at Northwestern University's Kellogg School of Management, Nathan Brinkman, founder of a financial planning and investing advisory you can join in. Call in with a question, 800-642-1234. I'm Kate Archer-Kent. You're listening to The Morning Show on the Ideas Network. It is the morning show. I'm Kate Archer Kent. From beloved family run restaurants to giant global manufacturers that have their roots in Wisconsin, think SC Johnson and Son, Kohler. We examine the dynamics of family run firms and how they're changing. Call in with a question you can share at any point, 800 642 1234. Email ideas at wpr.org. Nathan Brinkman is founder and CEO of Triumph Wealth Management in Madison. Jennifer Pendergast is here, teaches at the John L. Ward Center for Family Enterprises at Northwestern University. And Dan Hartung founded the agribusiness firm Hartung Brothers with his twin brother when he was 17 years old. Dan, welcome to the Ideas Network. Thank you, Kate. Good morning. Tell us about Hartung Brothers and how you and your brother founded this company. Well, we obviously started it a long time ago. Uh, it'll be, it'll be uh, 50 years here in, in uh, January 25. So um, it's, a, it's, a, it's been a, an interesting, interesting ride for sure. But we got started farming uh, just commercial crops, and then got into seed production uh, in the Madison area, and then got into vegetable production. Oh, in the mid-'80s, and that really took us pretty much all over the country. And uh, we added some additional – we're also in the fertilizer business for about 12 years, 15 years, I guess. And uh, so uh, just kind of just gradually grew as people needed additional services. We just uh, grew the business, and uh, and now we operate in – so I think five states and Hawaii, plus with, with Hawaii and uh, also in Ontario, uh, uh, we do a lot of cucumber production in, uh, in Ontario between Detroit and Niagara Falls. Mm. Sounds like your company kept looking to meet needs, evolving, um, maybe at times reinventing itself. Is that fair? I would say that's fair. We pretty much we we've made all of our. I guess moves and all of our really made all of our money on doing things other people don't want to do, and mm-hmm. that, that that could be a, a food processor that doesn't want to be involved in the egg side but still needs the raw product to run their plant, a uh, seed producer that has a certain need that uh, with our irrigated production we can could solve. So pretty much uh, that's how we've grown the business. And along the way. Um Hartung Brothers grew to include all of your siblings. Did you set out to keep it as a as a family company? 
I think so. I, I mean, it doesn't. I guess it wasn't uh, you know, absolute. Uh, everybody had to join in. Uh, both uh, my my parents were both involved in other uh, businesses. Uh, uh, my dad managed a, a large farm co-op in Cottage Grove for 35 years, and my mom was in the Amway business for probably 40 years. And uh, so they, you know, they're both excellent mentors. Uh, they were never involved, you know, day to day in the business, uh, but certainly. Uh, taught us well along the way and uh and uh were great examples over the decades how have you gone about resolving differences in in the family business differences in what markets to enter differences in what services to offer how do you negotiate that that's really never been much of an issue for us. Uh, if if it was a good opportunity, and and again, it, it it's got to be presented well, and and not everything we do <laughs> is good. <laughs> so uh, you know, we're not we're not adverse to failure, or, or, or so we'll we'll uh, uh, we've done a number of things that have not worked out, uh, but we, we we learn and we move on, and and. Uh, I, I, I don't. I mean, we've been we obviously have been successful, so I, I think that's you know, it's always it's always easier if you're successful at things. Uh, uh, it'll cloud out the failures, and uh, or at least hopefully you got more successful things than failures. So uh, at this point, uh, it looks uh, we certainly have, have had that, and and uh, but you know they they do staying, uh, but I, nobody ever gets. I guess I've. I've at any of our board meetings, no one's saying well, why why didn't we do or why we did that or shouldn't have done it. Very very, I mean, we discuss things thoroughly, and then once it's decided, then we're all in. Hmm. Jennifer, is Dan's story typical for how family companies are formed? Um, I think so. You know, a couple of things I heard. One, he said, "I get you know, I guess we started thinking this way that we wanted it to be family owned." I mean, I think in the beginning, and I can't speak for him, but, but generally people are just trying to make sure they get a business off the ground, right? Mm-hmm. So this is something we're trying to do. We're, we're thinking about day-to-day. The focus is very much operationally making the business work and adjusting as needed. Um, the other piece I love about the story is, you know, over time what, you're, what business you're in evolves uh, to meet your needs as well as to meet, you know, the needs of being successful. And, you know, one of the things I had mentioned earlier was that, you know, rarely is a business that's been around you know, for 50 years or 100 years or more than that, doing what they did, you know, in the same business, making the same thing mm-hmm. that they started out doing. So that so the, the key is the flexibility to evolve with the times to 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 be able to, you know, adjust to what what the family is is capable of doing and willing to take on. But also, you know, the world changes around you. So that flexibility to be able to adapt is really important. Dan, I understand your twin brother recently retired. What are your plans for the company as you and your siblings look toward retirement? Well, we're in the process uh, of, 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 I guess, looking at how do you, you know, I guess that very that very issue is uh, is you know, we're in the midst of it right now with with trying to transition these the various departments over to non-family member manage you know the leaders and, and managers. Um, nobody has any desire really to sell their stock or to get out of the business um, at this time. So I don't, uh, you know, we want to, we're going to uh, you know, continue on and, and try to do uh, 
do it with with a uh, I guess what I'm going to call uh, non-family uh, management, uh, of which a lot of our departments are already managed that way. So it's now it's getting to be you know, get the guys further up, uh, uh, whether it be the you know in, in vice president positions. Eventually, uh, we'll be you know we'll have to get my successor. I'm I'm not planning on going anywhere anytime real soon. So uh, at this point, uh, I'm more focused on getting these other positions so they're well, you know, not only the guy's in that position, but he's had a couple of years in it so that we've, we really know we've got the right guy. Nathan, what comes up for you as you hear Dan's story? Well, it's just a reflection of, um, you know, what he didn't say is the humility and humbleness of if, uh, if you like pickles, you for sure had one of uh, one of the cucumbers that's been pickled uh, <laughs> by our tongue brothers. So they have a vast network as well as uh, in the corn uh, and egg industry. Um, and going back to um, mom and dad being uh, supportive and helpful, even though they weren't right in the business, it's uh, it's very rare uh, to have um, a family and Dan didn't really mention how many are there, but uh, he's got a number of siblings that have been involved in that business. And yet they still get together for things like Thanksgiving and Christmas. And, uh, and it's really about the family values that, um, that have been stowed upon it, bestowed upon that family. Uh, and I'll specifically call out his, his mom, Lorna. Um, when he said Amway, she was an incredibly entrepreneurial spirit of which uh, resonated down to the next generation and likely will go to the third generation as well. So I just think of, again, the messiness we talked about. Uh, and again, uh, what happens, uh, you know, when you have a twin brother that retires and yet Dan is still uh, raring to go and stay in that helm um, every day and mm -hmm. doesn't plan on changing. And that's that, go again, goes back to the sophistication of everything is not equal and fair. It just has to be planned around. We're talking about the role of family businesses in the economy, and especially here in Wisconsin, Nathan Brinkman, founder and CEO of Triumph Wealth Management. Dan Hartung is co-founder of Hartung Brothers Agriculture Company. And Jennifer Pendergast is from Northwestern University's and University and, and works as a consultant to family-run businesses. You can join in with your questions and comments, 800-642-1234, email ideas at wpr.org. Jennifer, um, what should people consider before going to work for a family-owned business? Hmm. Uh, so, first of all, I think that we can't put all family-owned businesses in one bucket, right? Just like okay. any business. So, mm -hmm. I think I would want to understand what's the family's role in the business, Um how connected are they to it? Is it something that they want to be in for the long term? Um, a lot of families are very good about um, being uh, very vocal about their values and how those play into the business and the history. I'd love to see if I were going to work somewhere that there's a pride in the family. I'd want to know how connected the owners are to the business and how committed they are to the business. Um, I think those things are, you know, important if you're worried about, you know, committing a long-term career. You know, I'd want to see a certain level of professionalism in managing the challenges that can happen in a family business. So I had mentioned before, would love to see, you know, that there's a strong board of directors or an advisory board. I would want to know that there's something uh, 
that families frequently put in place around, you know, rules that govern the family's ability to be employed in the business. So can any family member come into the business or do they need to meet the same requirements as anyone coming in from the outside? That's something that I would want to look at uh, as well. Um, And so I think a lot of those things, it's always telling to me how, how vocal or outspoken families are about some of these things, about their pride in the business. Do they give back to their communities? Do they, do they talk about their origin stories and their, and their founders and the, and the values that those brought um, to the business? Um, are they making an effort to be well organized as a family? Does the family get along with each other or is there dissension among the family members? You know, these, those are things that are going to be a little bit harder to tell. <laughs> so you mm. may have to ask other employees about them. They're not going to, they're not going to show up at first blush, but I'd want to see that the best of a family business, which is the strengths around values and commitment are there and the potential worse of, which is, you know, lack of family cohesion, maybe conflict in the family isn't present. Mm. Dan, um, how do you create boundaries like at the Thanksgiving table? Is it like no talking about work or does it matter? Is everyone pretty easygoing? What is that like in terms of work and, and family? Well, we from the from the start we we set it up that that, that we're uh, you know we're uh, I guess how do you want to say this? Uh, we didn't set it up that you're automatically in the business. I guess so when if one of my brothers or sisters would, would pass away or their stock would be bought back by the business, we wouldn't automatically go to the family. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was kind of a, you know, everybody wanted to be able to pick their partner, mm-hmm. okay? So I had, I've got six brothers and two sisters in the business and a brother-in-law that, that are all shareholders. And But we all knowingly had these people come into the business. And... Uh, we did not want to have it set up. It wasn't a. It wasn't aired to you or whatever. Uh, uh, so we. That's the way we set things up. Um, but we truly run it. I mean, we we really try to be, you know, cognizant of the fact that it, it's a business, and we run the business and or or you know personalize or personalized. But we certainly all. We all get along real well, so that's always a big help. Help. But um, and I would say from a disagreement standpoint, we just don't have a lot of them because nobody you know really comes up with if they, if, it, if it's a bad idea they smoke it out themselves uh, usually and and uh, uh, I mean there's always you know we're looking at distributions you know some people want more some people want less uh, there's reasons for both and you ultimately put it to a vote but we've not, I don't think we've had more than one vote in forty. Eight years, it was not unanimous. Mm. Uh, once, it, once the discussion got done and the reasoning got put on the table. Dan Hartung is founder of a Madison-based agribusiness firm with his twin brother, Nathan Brinkman, founder of a wealth management and financial advisory firm in Madison. And Jennifer Pendergast consults with family enterprises, researches this aspect of the economy at Northwestern University's Kellogg School of Management. Call in with a question. You can share your comments, 800-642-1234. I'm Kate Archer-Kent. You're listening to The Morning Show on the Ideas Network.
It is the morning show. I'm Kate Archer Kent. We focus on family owned businesses and learn about their challenges and their future in Wisconsin and beyond. Call in with a question. Share what's on your mind at 800 642 1234. Email ideas at wpr.org. Nathan Brinkman and Dan Hartung are run family firms. Jennifer Pendergast is here, consults on and researches these businesses and is an adjunct professor at Northwestern University. Let's bring in Michael in Superior. Michael, hi. What is your situation? Hi. um, I have a little five, uh, actually four-year-old son, and I own a business um, relatively young. What's a good way to get him involved in the business? Because I want to leave it to him one day. I know if you push him too hard, he might pull away. And if you don't uh, get him involved enough, he might not be interested. What's a good way to get him involved? Michael, thank you for that question. Jennifer, how do you walk that line? Well, first of all, I commend you for thinking about this early on. There's research that suggests that passing on an entrepreneurial spirit in families occurs early. So it's literally the simple stuff like the take your kid to work. Um, And when I ask family businesses the stories of their first memories, they're often sitting in the office, um, going to work with dad, getting to ride along in the truck if it's on a route or or getting to see some of the business firsthand. Um, I was recently in the office of a business owning family where now it's going to the, to the fourth generation, but they had actually like toys sitting in the office for the kids to come play and sit when their grandpa went to work. So, so um, I remember talking to a, a business owning family that um, makes cosmetic products. And they said during COVID, their kids came to the office because they were making hand sanitizer to, to help in the COVID efforts. And, and the kids actually thought that what their mom and dad did was stir the vats of the stuff yeah. that, they were, that they were making. And so maybe the kids don't get exactly what you do, but this excitement of, hey, this is what we do or driving down the street, you know, that's something that, you know, that we're involved with somehow. I think you can create this this pride in, in what you do. So even just get giving them exposure to the little things, you know, things that may be kid friendly um, that they, they could be involved with. Um, I do think there is a, a definite concern about, about putting too much burden or expectation on them. So I think sending the message that, you know, I would love for you to be here someday, but, but, the business can also be a means to an end, which is if we do it successfully, you know, we generate money that you can use to pursue something that you're passionate about too. So they don't feel sort of a, an obligation or a fear that they're going to let, um, that they're going to let a parent down. Mm. The other thing, just as a quick aside, I would say is, you know, Mm. oftentimes, you know, any job is, is stressful, but, but being the owner of something is very stressful, right? Because other people are depending on you, uh, for employment, um, and if your job doesn't work out, you can't just necessarily go to the next place, right? So being very careful about editing yourself about what you're saying around your spouse or friends about maybe frustrations that you bring home from work. Um, you have to be a little bit careful around kids. And then the other thing is making sure that you still make time for family. If they see the business as this sort of uh, the the most important child of the family or something that doesn't allow you the flexibility to have time with them. I think it can be something that they resent 
over time. So making sure that you're still making space for families so they view this as a positive thing, not something that's taking you away from them. Michael, thank you so much for the call. Nathan, this is personal. What is the succession plan for your own company? What can you share? Uh, well, that Michael's question resonates with me. Um, I remember as a young child, uh, my parents owned an office product store and I counted pencils and our reward was pizza. And when I graduated from college, my grandfather, who was a farmer, family-owned business, said I was a lucky kid because I got to work half days. I just got to pick which 12 hours. So uh, out of my three children, one of them uh, is interested, in fact, is is licensed in the, the securities industry and is uh, my rule was they have to go work somewhere for two to three years because uh, I'm a great coach, but I'm a terrible trainer. So uh, she's getting training right now uh, at a different organization. But my advice, Michael, is this is, is make it fun. Uh, there are times uh, in in every business that are rough spots. I uh, I've been a student and a steward of this process for a long time. I won't go through all the credentials, but just uh, for 20 years I've been studying this. And one of the things that resonated with me uh, many years ago was just to share life with our kids. And uh, two of my children uh, have no interest. They they don't. Um, they, did, they didn't like the ups and downs and they didn't like the gyrations of what happens. But uh, my daughter happened to uh, click onto it, but we were very transparent with her when times were good, when times were bad, uh, good days, bad days, but most important just to make it fun and, and to communicate with them of this is my passion. This is something that I care intimately and deeply about. And I think uh, your kids pick up on that. If mm. it's just a job, they'll pick up on that as well. Uh, and then my last piece of advice is take care of yourself financially. So in order to successfully transfer a business, you have to be able to afford to do that. And so I've been planning around that uh, for a long time, just so I'm not dependent on my business uh, or the value of that business necessarily to enjoy, uh, you know, my last stage of life here in mm -hmm. retirement. And Dan Hartong, you have the uh, last word here. Advice on those kiddos who are coming up behind you uh, and, you know, the grandchildren um, in our, in our you know, 15, 20 seconds. Any, any advice there? Well, there was, we've got 80 some nieces and nephews oh, around goodness. here. So, <laughs> uh, it, it's, uh, they're, uh, you know, you really just got to let them cho choose. I mean, mm -hmm. you can make it as pleasant or not, but certainly we have a lot of. Uh, Nieces and nephews will come out and and spend time with their, with their, uh, or I should say grandkids and so mm -hmm. on. <laughs> they go out and spend time with their with their. Uh, they see pieces of it. Yes. Yep. Thank yep. you all for joining us. Dan Hartung founded agribusiness firm Hartung Brothers at the age of seventeen. Jennifer Pendergast, adjunct professor at the John L. Ward Center for Family Enterprises at Northwestern University. And Nathan Brinkman, founder, CEO, and president of Triumph Wealth Management in Madison. I'm Kate Archer-Kent. You're listening to The Morning Show here on the Ideas Network.